This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Take your Bibles and turn with me today to the book of Exodus chapter 8. And it just seems like that as I begin to prepare for this particular message, even early on in the week, even this morning, it just seemed like the devil was chasing me because I told, and Gail knows this, every time I preach a message like the theme of what she's singing and what I'm preaching, it just seems like in every which way I turn, uh, he he realizes what's at hand. And uh, um, he certainly doesn't like it. And I don't believe he'll leave here today saying glory to God, hallelujah. Uh, but uh, I pray that you will. And so in Exodus chapter 8, I'm going to be asking you to read along with me. I want you to follow these words. The media department will get these scriptures on the screen. We have a ton of them to give out today. And uh, I pray that you have been enjoying the subject, the series that we're speaking on, Go With God. And today's message is entitled, Tomorrow, The Devil's Dream Word. And so I want to read beginning in verse number one of chapter eight and ask you to follow along with me as we read the scriptures together today. And the Lord spake unto Moses, go unto Pharaoh and say unto him, thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thine house. Now, as I read this passage of Scripture, I want you to look at it and look at it closely and carefully. And I want you to see the warning, the stern message of God. He said, I'm going to cause these frogs, he said, to go up and to come into thy house and into thy bedchamber and upon thy bed, into the house of thy servants and upon thy people and into thy ovens and into thy needle throats. And the frogs shall come up both on thee and upon thy people and upon all thy servants. The Lord spake unto Moses, say unto Aaron, stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. You know, we live in a world, and I want you to think along with me this morning, where we're confronted with some sort of new technology almost on a daily basis. I want to carry you back down memory lane just for a few moments because I believe that there are a few in here who can identify with some of these things in yesteryears. There may be a few people in here today who lived in a period of time where you did not have inside plumbing. Some of you may experience times when you did not have air conditioning. There may be a few 
in here today that remember the old days when you had a party line in your phone. Now, believe me, that has nothing to do with modern times. Some of you know what I'm talking about when I say a party line. And then there are those in here today that have no idea what I'm talking about. Some in here may remember when there was no TV, just the Grand Ole Opry on the radio on Saturday nights. Maybe you lived in a day when the milkman dropped off milk on your porch. Or even some of you may be able to remember the day when you had to take a bucket and a pail out to the field and milk the cow. And some of you may, I got it, I hear you. I know I'm not alone. Can I have a witness this morning? I see your hands. Some of you may remember how you took that pail of fresh squeezed milk and where you had to churn your own butter. Maybe some of you can remember the day when the ice man would drive up and down your streets with ice and bring you ice to put in your refrigerator. Now, for those of you this morning that may have lived in those particular time zones, you probably can also remember when things started to change rapidly right before your eyes. I mean, some of you in here may remember the first time you heard a toilet flush. Some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Maybe there's somebody in here today that remembers the first time you got screens on your windows in your home. Maybe some of you remember the day that you you got your first fan in the house. It was July hot, but when you plugged in that fan, man, things changed. Maybe you remember the time when you went from shaking the carpets out on the porch to the time you got your first vacuum cleaner. Maybe you remember the time that you went from radio to a black and white television set. Or maybe some of you remember the day that you got your first color television. Maybe some of you remember the day that you got your own personal rotary telephone. And then maybe you remember the day when all of a sudden it seemed like overnight that all of the things just started to explode with change. I mean, you saw when we moved into the world of computers, when we went from 78s to 45s to 33 in a long play on the albums, to the time we went to 8-track tapes and cassettes and CDs and video games and cell phones. I want you to think how dramatically, and some in this auditorium today live to see everything that I just talked about. And how, in the blink of an eye, it's gone by. Some of you know how dramatic and how fast things change in our lifetime. We all have become used to warp speed progress. And even now, this very moment, things are changing all around us at the speed of light. But God has made it clear and has set himself apart from all of this stuff. Every single ounce of it. God, and I want you to identify with this, think with me this morning, has not entered this world with confusion and an inability to know him. 
to walk with him and to keep up with him. God presents himself in such a way that we can comprehend him. And here's the great spiritual truth about that this morning, is that when we position ourselves to know him, we can begin to have a better understanding about our own selves. All of us know where we fall short. All of us know what he expects. And we all know this morning that we have choices. One of those choices that we have as believers is whether or not we're going to live a consecrated and a sanctified life. Many today are not waking up trusting God. Many people all over the world are just waking up every day hoping for the best. And then there are those who are just waking up. They're just letting the wind carry them wherever it blows from one day to the next. Never forget this, that justification depends on God. There's nothing you can do, I can do to save ourselves. You cannot save me, I cannot save you. Sanctification, however, depends on us. Justification depends on God. Sanctification depends on us. And by the way, when you stop to think about that, sanctification is a very slow process. Sanctification does not come to us at warp speed. And here is the thing about sanctification and living the Christian life. We do not get it right all of the time, no matter how long you've been saved. No matter how much of the Bible you can quote, no matter how many years you were brought up in church, and no matter how many sermons you have heard preached or things you have heard taught, you and I, even as a believer, we never get it right all of the time. We stumble, we fall, we doubt, we lose, we quit, but thank God sometimes through his grace we win. It was the same kind of hamster's wheel that Moses was on in this particular story. And we have seen in this series that everything that God was asking of Moses, Moses was pushing back in some way or another. He was doing his best not to be a happy camper. Some of us wake up in the morning with that goal in mind. I, no matter what, I will not be happy today. When it comes to God wanting to work in our lives, we, sometimes we have the tendency to do the same thing. I mean, most of the time, most of the time, when, when we're asked the question, do you really want to have a close relationship with God? Most of the time, on the surface, we'll say yes. But there are a lot of times when we really do not want to have close fellowship with him. We just want him, we just want God to get us out of trouble. We, we just want God to help us not to get that speeding ticket. Or we just want God to help us to win the lottery. But when it comes down to having personal, intimate fellowship with him, deep down inside, I wonder how many of us really truly want or crave that every single day. Now, in this particular part of the story, 
We see that the faith of Moses eventually led him to boldness. There's no doubt about that. God was not only pushing Moses for total surrender, but he was wanting the same thing for all of the Hebrews as well. And when we get to the events at this point of the story, God says to Moses, now listen, Moses, If Pharaoh still refuses to let my people go, then tell him the frogs are coming. I want you to look again at Exodus chapter 8 and verse number 2. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. Now, most of you know what it's like to stand out on your porch at night, especially if you lived in the country when you were growing up or perhaps do now, and you listen to the crickets, you listen to the sounds of nature, you listen to all kinds of things in the, in the wilderness around you. And most of you know what it's like to stand on your porch at night and to hear a couple of frogs croaking in the distance. All of us, I think, are familiar with that. But here in this story, we're talking about millions, millions upon millions, and frogs not just outside. Get this now, not just outside in the yard, but these frogs are everywhere. In verse 3. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thy house and into thy bedchamber and upon thy bed and, uh, and into the house of the servants and upon thy people and into thy ovens and into thy needle troughs. I mean, listen to this. These frogs were everywhere. They were in the house. They were in their beds. They were in their ovens. They were in their cupboards. Everywhere these people stepped, there were frogs, an abundance of them. And I want you to understand this. This is not just a simple matter of inconvenience to these people. I mean, this is about hysteria, pandemonium, sleep defamation, mental anguish, unsanitary things beyond imagination. And all of this was going on for seven long days. Now, you also may have not known this. But to the Egyptians, listen carefully, because I believe I'm teaching somebody something here this morning. To the Egyptians, frogs were sacred animals. They represented the goddess Hecate. And she was said to be worshipped as the goddess of fertility. So in Egypt... People who were wanting children, they bowed down, they worshipped and prayed to the goddess Hecate because they believed in their superstitions that this goddess was going to bless them with children. And so in this woman-like image, it had the head of a frog. And so at this particular time in Egypt, when all of this stuff was happening, all of this was going on, it was a capital offense to kill a frog. And because of that, think about trying to simply physically maneuver around this particular plague. I mean, when you were riding a chariot, whether you were riding a donkey, whether or not you were walking on foot, whether or not you were trying to simply make bread in your oven, the frogs were in the sheets, they were in the beds, they were everywhere. It was almost impossible to move. Now, here's the interesting thing about the story. The soothsayers of Pharaoh, when Moses 
had declared that God was going to do this thing if he did not let the people go. And all of a sudden, and then God says, Aaron, stretch forth your rod, man, bring it on. Let's get it on. Bring the frogs up from everywhere. Aaron did it. Frogs, millions of them came. Now, the soothsayers, they stepped and said, oh man, he thinks that's something. Watch this. And the soothsayers, they begin to say, hey, we can do that. And so it was demonic, supernatural abilities that these soothsayers were able to imitate, and I emphasize that word, this thing that God was doing. Now, here's, here's the thing that blows my mind. You would think that if they had the ability to really do something greater than God, you would think that they would perform some kind of magic to make them go away. Wouldn't you? I mean, frogs everywhere. And so Pharaoh's about ready to pull his hair out, and these guys are saying, hey, man, we, you think this is something? You would think that these guys would have done something. They clicked their heels three times to make these frogs disappear, but they didn't do that. What these soothsayers did, they said, oh, this ain't nothing. Watch this. And they brought up more frogs. Now, think about this whole thing now, how this is playing out. In Exodus 8, 7, and the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. Now, that's exactly what they needed, right? More frogs. But foolishness, listen now, foolishness is what happens when human hearts are corrupt and evil. Now think about this. The only thing that these magicians could do was to duplicate. This is important. Was to duplicate the situation. And I believe as the word of God says, they did duplicate it. It was, I believe, through demonic powers. They could only counterfeit this thing God was doing. They could not make it go away. But they could run some confusion. They could run some counterfeiting. But please understand that they were only able to do this by supernatural demonic powers. And I want you to listen and try to get this first spiritual truth in today. And number one on your bulletin is this, that the enemy can never undo what God has done. I want you to think about this. This is a spiritual truth that flows throughout all of the scriptures the enemy cannot undo what God has done. In Job 42, verse 2, get it on the screen quick, fellas. I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholding from thee. You see, the enemy can never mute. He can never undo what God has spoken. He can never tear down what God has stood up. In Isaiah 55, 11, so my word... Be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void. It shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. In Jeremiah 23, verse 29 and 30, It's not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. Therefore, behold, I'm against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words. 
everyone from his neighbor. Think about the power of the word of God. With his word, he brought the world into existence. With his power, he brought nature and life into existence. With his word, he defeated Satan in the wilderness. With his word, he performed miracles. With his word, he finished God's plan of redemption. And so the demonic powers that were now working with Pharaoh's court in Egypt, they could only imitate God's word, but they could not undo it. Number two, there is no power greater than the power of God. Nothing can stand against his plan and purpose. Now listen carefully. All that the enemy had at this point was the ability to duplicate what God had already done. They could not change or alter his will. And so in this nightmare, Pharaoh calls for Moses and Aaron to begin to plead with God. They said, he said, Moses, y'all need to pray to God now. Tell him I've had enough of this stuff. Tell God. He didn't say, tell your God. Plead with the Lord. Now, No longer are they talking to the goddess Hecate. No longer are they talking to these other false gods. Moses and Aaron plead with the Lord. And in verse 8, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let thy people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. Now, Do you remember early on in this series that Pharaoh asked two important questions of Moses? He said this, and we we learned this in the very first sermon of this series. Pharaoh asked Moses when he said, when Moses came to say, God said, let my people go. Pharaoh asked two questions. The first one was this, who is your God? And the second question he asked, and why should I obey him? There is nothing questionable in the heart of Pharaoh at this point. He is not saying, who is your God? He is saying, entreat the Lord. Look at that. But now all of a sudden, these frogs now are everywhere, and he quickly understands who the God of Moses is, and he's pleading with Moses to plead with God to have God stop all of this stuff. He's actually, you look at it, he's actually turning from all of his gods in Egypt and now he's turned to the only true God, the God of Moses. He's yielding to that one who Moses is saying is the only true God and he's asking this only one true God to deliver them from the frogs. And he tells Moses, he said, if you do this, If you tell God and God stops all of this stuff, he said, I will let your people go. But most of you in here today know how this story goes. Pharaoh does not keep his word. But this was not going to be a surprise to God. God wasn't taken back when Pharaoh started to renege. In fact, God had prepared Moses for this very thing at the burning bush. God had said, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. He's not going to submit to you until... After the death of his firstborn child. 
So Pharaoh, now he begins to plead with Moses for him to plead with God. And so here's the thing. So you, you can imagine now, can, can you try to even imagine the countenance of Pharaoh? Stressed out is not, it doesn't serve it justice. But you can imagine his eyes being bloodshot. I, I don't know what he had on his head, but it was probably crooked. He probably didn't have all of his clothes snapped or buttoned. Or You can probably get the idea he's not taking a whole lot of baths. This, this guy's a human waste. He is a human wreck. He comes to Moses and he says, oh man, Tell God to shut this down. Make them go away. If your God does that, if God does this, I'll let them go. So Moses says, okay, I'll do that. When do you want me to do this? Now, there's not anybody in this auditorium that will have any trouble working out that math. You got millions and millions and millions of frogs you're asking the only person that can help you make these go away. Most of us would pretty much have the idea of when we wanted that to happen. Moses says, when you want me to, I wonder how many times have we ever prayed to God for specific things in our life and we never really truly meant it way down deep in our hearts. Pharaoh didn't mean one word of what he was saying, yet he was saying, Moses, pray. Ask God. Now, number three, the most dangerous answer on the earth. It's the answer of the devil. In verse 10, Moses says, Pharaoh, wouldn't you want me to tell God to shut this thing down? Wouldn't you want me to tell God to make these frogs go away? In verse 10, and he said, tomorrow. Obviously, he, by this time, he has mental problems, among all the other things. But he, said, he says, tomorrow. And he said, be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. Now, get this. I mean, these people in Egypt, they're dealing with these plagues. Now they're in biblical proportions. It's infecting the entire nation. And Moses says, okay. When can we do this? When do you want us to do this? And like Doc Holliday in Tombstone, Moses says, say when. Just say when. Pharaoh, when do you want me to do this? And look at this. And Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Who in their right mind would not have said, now. Right now. Let's get it on, Moses. Tell God now. When I read this and I study it, I believe that Pharaoh was so selfish and he was so self-centered that he was willing to go. Listen now. He was willing to go one more day in this nightmare. He was willing to go one more day for Hebrew slavery, for pride. But we've got to learn the spiritual truth this morning to put off obedience to God today until tomorrow 
means that we're going to disobey him today. Procrastination is the workshop of the devil. This is something I, I despise. If there's anything on the earth that, that I, I have a personal pet peeve with, it's, it's this. It's procrastination. I would rather be two weeks early than two minutes late. That's just me. I, I despise it in all shape, form. Procrastination is the workshop of the devil. And listen, if you do not resist the devil now, he will control your life today and tomorrow. In Proverbs 27, 1, the scripture says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Only heaven knows how many people are in hell today because of this one word that Pharaoh spoke, tomorrow. Millions of people are walking around on this earth in total misery. Their life filled with sorrow because of that one word, tomorrow. Thinking if I just had one more chance to go back to yesterday, I wonder how many people has the enemy said, okay, if you're going to quit running from God, if you're going to get things right with God, if you're going to say, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I can remember in Israel on our, on our recent trip to the Holy Land, uh, just a couple of months ago, there was a, there was a jeweler who came to the hotel and he was selling Israeli jewelry. And I had this particular ring crafted for me. On this it says, and it's written in Hebrew. This ring says in Hebrew, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm convinced that if I were to drop dead in Walmart, Costco, food line, I would want somebody to say, what does that mean? And I hope somebody would be curious enough to find out because I want people to know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Maybe the devil's got somebody thinking right now, okay, just one more day. And, and if you want to run, if you, if you want to quit running from God, do it tomorrow. If you want your house to be a praying house, a serving house, a faithful house, okay, but do it tomorrow. Do it tomorrow. Just enjoy yourself for one more day. One more day. But please listen carefully. As long as you think that you can do it tomorrow, you will never do it. It's a lie of the devil. Maybe there's somebody here today who's holding on to a certain sin or putting off something you know God's been dealing with you strongly about. And the Holy Spirit has been patiently working with you. And while the Holy Spirit is saying, listen, you have invested too much in this wrong thing. It's getting you in trouble. It's going to lead to misery. And on the other side, the devil is saying, listen, you know, what he's saying is true. But listen, you've got all the time in the world. On the other side, the devil is saying tomorrow. On the other side, he's saying you've got plenty of time to get your ducks in the road, to cross your T's and to dot your I's. But listen to these spiritual truths. If that's the crossfire that 
you feel that you're in today. And the Holy Spirit is saying this while the devil is saying this. And this thing about tomorrow is making a little bit more sense to you. It's bringing you a little bit more comfort. And you're saying, I, I know what God's saying. I know it's true. And the devil's saying, but just one more time, just one more day, and then get it all right. And you're saying, well, you know, I've been doing it all this long. I've been here for this long. One more day won't matter. But, but God, I promise you tomorrow now, I'm done. I'm done. I'll turn. And you're saying, when I get here, God, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to settle it. Listen carefully. You might be in the crossfire of that right now. And the devil might be speaking the words tomorrow. Listen to this. Don't invest in that. Because sin does not need closure. Sin doesn't need a proper send-off. Sin doesn't need a hesitating goodbye. It needs to be cut off while we have the opportunity to deal with it. And remember, tomorrow is the dream word of the devil. Don't play the fool with this. In Acts 24, verse 25, and as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Acts 26, 28, then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Can you imagine what it what it's like for this man, and we have no record, none, of any of both of these guys getting saved, none. So all we have is a record to lead us to believe that they died and went to hell. And can you believe, can you imagine fractionally being in hell forever with these words running across your mind nonstop? I'm waiting for a more convenient season or almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Whichever case, whichever the man, to have those words revolving around your mind for all eternity. Now, back to the story. Moses steps back and he says, okay, I'll pray to the Lord. And in Exodus 8 verse 10, Read with me through verse 15, and he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Be it according to thy word, that thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord, our God. And the frogs shall depart from thee, and from thy houses, and from thy servants, and from thy people. They shall remain in the river only. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of their houses, out of the villages, and out of the fields. But notice this. God snickers, and he steps back, and he says, okay, I'll get get them out of your house. I'll get them out of your ovens. But he said, I'm not finished with this. Look what God did. And they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Now, do not forget 
what these frogs meant to these people. You see, this is not a battle just between Moses and Pharaoh. It's not a battle just between Israel and Egypt. This is a battle where God was going to publicly defy all of the false gods of Egypt. And now I love what God is going to do in this situation right here. Look at this. He doesn't just say, okay, I'm going to relieve you from the frogs. But God allowed them to pile up these frogs in heaps and made them all to stink. Now I want you to think about this. If Pharaoh had only done the right thing, I mean, in seconds, if he had done the right things, instead of wanting one more night with the frogs, one more day, look now, one more day caused him an agitated problem. And I want you to see this in point number four, and that's this, that tomorrow affected everybody. Even the Israelites were affected by this rebellion. In fact, they were affected by the first three plagues. Only after the third plague, God shielded them from it in Exodus 8, 22 through 23. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth, and I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. So let me just say a short word about this, and that is this. You do not have to be directly the cause of a problem to be affected by it. This is why we need the whole armor of God on every day. Now in closing, and I ask our musicians to come, I want you to turn your Bibles from Exodus to Revelation. Revelation chapter 16, and I want you to see this in verse 13 and 14. This is amazing. In the prophecies of things to come, in the subject of eschatology, look at this. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. Well, they are the spirits of devils working miracles. Soothsayer said to Pharaoh, oh, we can do that. Watch this. Look at this. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Now here we find a dramatic reversal of the Exodus account. In Exodus, the frogs were brought on by God. But here in Revelation, the frogs are brought on by evil spirits. But what it does in both stories, Exodus and Revelation, both of these stories end up in judgment. Never forget, tomorrow is the dream word of the devil. Every person in here today can do something about the moment right now that God has given to you. And no matter how fast the world changes, before your very eyes, 
remember this. God will never change. And he will always be just and true. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I don't know. I'm not your Holy Spirit. There may be something in your life right now that God has been emphatically, dramatically dealing with you about. And for whatever reason, you hear that whisper. Okay, but do it tomorrow. Okay, do it tomorrow. The Bible teaches us to work while it is day. The night cometh when no one can work. Recently, in our home city, you've heard a lot about the tragic shootings that took place downtown. A young man had walked across the stage to get his high school diploma, walked out the front door. He was shot. The boy's father was killed. His little sister was killed running from a car trying to get out of the way. Can you imagine in a moment, in the blink of an eye, a family is gone? I don't believe for one moment that anybody in that theater, anybody in that area woke up thinking, this could be, this may be my last day on earth. I don't believe that's the way that it happens. But I believe every now and then God will stand a preacher in the way. God will stand a Sunday school teacher in the way. God will do something, put something in the way to say, quit running. Quit running. Today is the day. God may be dealing with you with all sorts of things. I don't know. But if that's him, remember this. We don't have forever on this earth. And life can change in the blink of an eye. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.